If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I said, I'm going to be a producer and make movies in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Right? You knew. And I'm early high school. I, I was very clear. God has showed me the vision at a very young age of what I was going to do. But I didn't know how, and I didn't, I don't think I really believed it, right. right? But that moment, she was like, okay, what's your backup plan? Because that's not being good. This is after she just tore everybody else's dream apart. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? I was like, that's what I'm going to do. What's your backup plan? I was like, I don't have a backup plan. That is the plan. That is plan A, B, C, and D. That's what we're doing. Right, right. Right? Now, I'm saying that boldly, looking past her at a cotton field, right? Mm-hmm. But I just, it was just in me. God had kind of put that in my spirit that that's what I was going to do. So that was the moment I knew that I had to do it because this was in the face of somebody who I, I kind of respected mm-hmm. and had to boldly just defy and say, like, this is what I'm doing. Don't ask me. You know how Serena Williams' dad in that clip was like, don't mess with that girl, that little black girl's confidence. Yep. Like, she said what yep. she said. Yep. That's how I felt for myself. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. That's when Art would say, everybody, welcome back, welcome back. Art cannot be here. He could not make part two of this dope episode series with Steve and Dr. Love, but I'm glad you came back with us. Listen, if you heard last week's episode, then you got a story. You understand why he is someone we should be listening to and what his mark should be, will be on the world. You also got a chance to hear a lot about they clone Tyrone, and I expect you've probably seen it by now as well. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk more about how he got positioned to be where he is now, how he became a storyteller with access to platforms that reach you every single day. Dreaming, mentorship, opportunity creating, that is what this episode is about. You did not hear part one. First off, shame on you. Second off, go back and consume it. Gobble it up. Listen Learn. There's a bunch coming your way. With that, Steve and brother, welcome back to Wild Black. Thank you for having me back, man. <laughs> man, I'm only gonna bring it up one time. Okay, I'm bring go up they clone Tyrone I'll one more time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably lying, <laughs> brother. Just to kind of reorient the people who are, are coming back, mm-hmm. they've seen it now. What do you want to tell them? What do you want to challenge them with now that they have seen this movie? How should they behave? How should they act? What should they do? I mean, I think if you've seen the movie, I think you got to unpack it, right? If you already True unpacked it, then story. you probably got a lot of questions. Probably more questions than answers. That's a good thing, though. You know, yeah. I think 
having as many conversations as you can with friends and family and colleagues. That, that's really what, that's all I really want is for people just to talk about it, you know, not not just talk about the movie, but talk about the things that, we, that we're kind of unpacking in the movie too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is where I want to dive in. How did you get here? The very first thing that I think had to happen was there had to be a dream mm-hmm. someplace along the line. Mm-hmm. It might not be the initial catalyst, right? But along the journey you've been on, you had to look up at some point and say, I am this today, mm-hmm. and I want to be that tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So in your head, go back to that moment, whether that's South Carolina, whether that's Morehouse, wherever that is, and tell me a little bit about that moment and what that dream was. Mm. Man, you'll get me crying in here, man. Hey, brother, um, listen. I it mean, wouldn't be the first time. I believe it. wouldn't be the last for I you or for me, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, nah, I mean, the the moment that the dream was very, very clear to me. Right. And the, which was also the moment that I was absolutely sure mm-hmm. that I would run through a wall and do it with integrity and tenacity that we talked about in the last episode. Right. Um, was early days of high school. You know, to paint the picture, where I, where I went to high school in South Carolina in Bennettsville, Marlboro County. In that town, across from my high school and across from my church and just about any other, you know, staple of our community is a cotton field, literally. Right. Right. right? And so the moment I remember the dream becoming so clear to me and also being so clear that I'm going to do whatever I have to do within reason to get after it. Right. Was standing on the porch of my father's church, Trinity United Methodist Church. Shout out to everybody at Trinity. Standing on the porch of my father's church, hanging out like I did every Sunday with my boys, right? Um, Just kind of talking junk, whatever. And this lady from the church comes out there. And she kind of was the one, you know, who was like everybody's auntie, right? Whether you right. wanted her to be or not, who would say to you, what are you doing with yourself? Pull your pants up, whatever else, right? What, how are your grades? All that kind of stuff. And she said, in this day, it didn't feel, to me, it did not feel like it was to inspire. It felt like it was to chastise. Mm. And she said to each one of us, what are you, what are you doing? Y'all just out here kind of hanging out. What, what, are you, what are you doing, right? What do you want to do? So each one of us kind of tells what you want to do with your life. When one guy wanted to play basketball, another guy wanted to play football, another guy wanted to go to college and figure it out, you know. And, of course, she shot down most of those dreams. She gets to me. Yeah. Now, we're in the South. I'm the preacher's kid. I'm the preacher's son. You assume that, that there would be some sort of level of couth that comes with that approach, right? Right. It did not. She didn't care. She said, <laughs> what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to be a producer and make movies in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Right? You knew. And I'm early high school. I, I was very clear. God had showed me the vision at a very young age of what I was going to do. But I didn't know how. And I, didn't, I don't think I really believed it. Right. Right? But that moment, she was like, okay, what's your backup plan? Because that's not going to be good. This is after she tore everybody else's dream apart. You know, what are you, you going to do? I was like, that's what I'm going to do. What's your backup plan? I was like, I don't have a backup plan. That is the plan. That is plan A, B, C, and D. That's what we're doing. Right, right. Right? Now, I'm saying that boldly looking past her at a cotton field, right? But I just, it was just in me. God had kind of put that in my spirit that that's what I was going to do. So that was the moment I knew 
that I had to do it because this was in the face of somebody who I, I kind of respected mm-hmm. and had to boldly just defy and say, like, this is what I'm doing. Don't ask me. You know how Serena Williams' dad in that clip was like, don't mess with that girl, that little black girl's confidence. Yep. Like, she said what yep. she said. Yep. That's how I felt for myself, right? Yeah. And so from then on, it was like, all right, game on. Like, I got to do this. Not just not to prove just some one person wrong, but more right. so... Prove yourself did, right. Prove myself right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that, man. Yeah. For me, there is... Um, there's not a word for this. Not not for me, right? It, there is this... There's this feeling, this innate feeling inside of, of me. Like, as I sit here today at 47 that I did not realize until about 35 years old. Mm. Now, that's not to say I didn't have dreams before. I had plenty of them, right? Some were bigger than others. Some were badder than others. But someplace along the time of about 33, 34, 35, God placed inside of me this Mm hyper-focus. And it's going to sound strange to hear this. It was a a super unfocused hyper-focus. And just, mm-hmm. just give me a second mm-hmm. to kind of massage that in for you. It wasn't that I was focused on any one thing. I wasn't focused on building wealth. I wasn't focused on storytelling. I wasn't focused on marketing. I was working in marketing at the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't focused on speaking up for my people or becoming a champion. But I was hyper-focused on learning to get focused. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the way mm-hmm. I would, I used to always feel successful. Right. And I was successful from the outside in because I had all the things that made people assume I was successful. I had a car and mm-hmm. I had a, had a house. My kids were dressed well. Mm-hmm. We, we took vacations whenever we wanted to. Like, I didn't want for anything. If I wanted it, I could go get it. But it was such a facade. It was a lie. And it was a lie that I pushed to everyone, including myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I believed that. And then through this ordained ability to find focus, I found flaws. I, I found mm. the smoke and mirrors that I was putting up for everyone around me to consume and to believe, including myself. And when I began ripping them down, it was a painful, painful process, right? Mm-hmm. It was, a process that you go through alone. These are not things that my wife could walk me through. That's right. These are things that I had to go through alone. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. I won't say alone. With God. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and through that, I found the ability to redefine what success. At the time, success was for me, how busy was I? I would do a little bit over here and a little bit over there and a little bit over here and a little bit over there. And I'd feel tired and exhausted at the end of the day. And I found meaning in that exhaustion. I'm busy. Therefore, I am or will be successful because how can I not? The analogy I give is I'd stand in the middle of a room, an empty room, and I'd take 10,000 steps, each step in a different direction. And at the end of the day, I was no closer to the door Mm -hmm. than when I started, but my feet hurt like hell. That was you were busy. 
right? I was mm-hmm. busy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and through that experience and that breaking down of the facade I was telling everyone else and myself, I found the ability to truly focus. And when I began to focus, that's when, to go back to episode one, that's when passion and love became more clear to me, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden, I knew what I was supposed to be doing. It was literally a light bulb that went on, mm. but it was a slow turn, yeah. right? And so then I, I started looking at my life with this filtration system that I still adopted now. I have three very, very specific goals. I want to retire well and early. I want to create a financial and educational legacy for my children, and I want to create a world in which my children are free to be whoever they are ordained and authentically being. I want them to live in that world where there are no excuses that anyone puts upon them that limit who they can become. Mm -hmm. That moment you had looking at the cotton field, I want them to feel every bit as empowered as you did to say, nah, this is who I'm going to be. Right? And Mm. and that's what I work every day toward. I I use this formula that says 90 to 95% of all the things that I say yes to must meet the criteria of helping me achieve one, two, or three of those goals. And those goals are related. Mm -hmm. In that, what I found was When I got aligned, when my steps were ordained, when I was in communion and conversation with God, everything flowed. Every opportunity that came my way was tied to those three goals. Everything Mm -hmm. God brought me and everything God brought me through a friend, through a family member, or through a stranger was in that line. And doors started opening. I started getting opportunities from places that I had not even knocked. I started getting people bringing things to me that I had only dreamed of. That is a powerful place to be for me, right? I tell people it became the intersection of my purpose, my passion, and my paycheck. Facts. It allowed me to live. That's a freedom that I want everyone listening to be able to get. Now, I've talked a lot. There's still a question in there, believe it or not. Yeah. The question in there is for me, it took the ability to tear through the lies that I not only told, but I believed. Mm-hmm. For you, being that teenager on the step who already knew what it was you were going to be doing, what happened in your world that let you know that was it? How did you get that much? Mm-hmm. I got it at 32, 33, 34, yeah. 35. Yeah. You had it at 16, mm-hmm. 17. Mm-hmm. How? Because I want everyone else listening, yeah. whether they're 16 or 35, or 47, right. to be able to start that process. Right. You know, I had a I had an amazing head start because right. I had parents who moved the way that you just described, moving for your kids. Right. Right? Our parents created a space where, and, 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 and I, to this day, don't really understand how or why they made it, or was it conscious, or was it just God guiding them, and they didn't know what was happening? Like, mm-hmm. how did this happen? Because they truly created a space from birth, really, for me to just be me, for me to be a leader, mm-hmm. right? I sat, I remember, you know, at four or five years old, sitting in, or even, you know, eight, nine, whatever, sitting in meetings over in the corner, you know, eating snacks and, and coloring in the book or doing homework or whatever, while my dad is on the other side of that fellowship hall conducting a meeting for the church, right? Yeah, yeah, because my yeah. mom was in night school trying to get her degree, right? And so 
There ain't no ain't no babysitter and all that stuff. We we out on our own, so you gonna sit in the corner and do your work and be quiet while dad's over here handling his business meeting, right? Yeah. But like, I know that that's where I learned some of my management skills was from just overhearing that stuff. I wasn't yeah. just coloring. I was listening, being nosy, yeah. right? Hearing how he dealt with people when they had issues, et cetera, right? Hearing how he dealt with people when they had differing opinions. Not just differing from each other, but different from himself as the leader of the church or whatever, right? So right. I know that my parents are a, a real reason why I had this ability very early to just stick to my guns, yeah. right? And, you know, at first I thought I wanted to be an architect, right. you know, as a right, kid. Right, right, right. Not because I loved architecture, but because the the most well-paid person I knew in my in, in my sphere was my I had an uncle who was doing something related to architecture is what I was told. He's making $80,000 a year. I'm like, that's it. That's it. That's what that's I'm it. doing. Boom. He an engineer? Cool. That's what we doing. Yeah. Right? Then I took one class. And I was like, oh, this ain't my, this is not nope. my life. This ain't for me. Right? <laughs> and I hated it. But in that process, I realized what I did learn about myself, and I think it's okay to, I think it's okay for people to admit this about themselves. We all, everybody might like money or whatever, but I knew I wanted to make the kind of money that would change the, 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 the situation for my family. And it would change the, the environment and experiences that I could have. Yeah. And it could build infrastructure that becomes legacy yeah. for a family. Like, right? That's my thing. I love some legacy, baby. You know what I mean? So I knew that that, had, that does have a price tag. You know, that kind of money does have a, that, that, there is a number associated with that. Yeah. Uh, or a level at least. And so, um, once I realized that my passion, yeah, right, yeah. aligned with that purpose and that, and then ultimately a paycheck. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, we doing this? We making movies? That's what we gonna do." Marketing's got the four P's. I got the three. Yeah, you go. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so yeah, man. That's that's really that's really where it came from. And yeah. then honestly, there's there's a I believe that they're in the old African tradition of handing a baby to the eldest person in the family. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about that as something that happens because one is on their way into the world and yeah. one is is on their way out. Yeah, and that's true. But the other thing that happens is just a passing of wisdom. You you sparked a question. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about that dream and when you were on that that porch and you were looking at the cotton field mm-hmm. and you had that conversation and you you just knew right you knew mm-hmm. that's where you wanted to go and then you you said something that really struck me um in your world there was an architect mm-hmm. the architect made the money therefore you wanted to be the architect mm-hmm. and for me i grew up much like you small town mississippi mm-hmm. vicksburg mississippi where if i wanted to be successful there were basically two tiers I could go to tier two, and I could be a teacher. I could be a fireman. I could be a policeman. That was success. Tier one, doctor, lawyer, engineer. That was success. No one told me I could be in media. Mm -hmm. No one told me Mm -hmm. that I could be a graphic designer. No one told me I could be an author. No one told me that you could be a poet, right? I, I knew I could be a historian because that's a version of a teacher, but no one told me all these other things. And and, and grateful to my mother and my father, my father was a nuclear engineer mm. who exposed me and everyone else around me to amazing things that we were not able to be exposed to without him. But the question that I have for you is, much like myself, growing up in those small towns 
where the vision of success is somewhat limited to these mm-hmm. tiers, right? How did you learn to dream further than mm. your environment would allow you to see? Mm-hmm. Like, h- how did you get there, right? How did you grow from the $80,000 a year architect to, nah, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. I want to yeah. create films. That To me, that's magical because I, I failed to do that, right? How did you do that? It, it, it Being able to dream beyond the measures you can see yeah. is definitely a magical yeah. experience, for sure, right? Yeah. Again, I got to credit my parents. My mom meant it when she told me every single day, put your best foot forward, yeah. put your best foot forward, and you can be anything you want to be. Yeah. She meant it when she said that to me. And, it, and even if she did mean it, my mom, I believed it clearly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it, it, it allowed me, I, I truly took that to heart. So, in, so in fact, and I'm, I'm also stubborn. All right? I'm a Scorpio, <laughs> I'm stubborn. And so, when somebody tell, tells me you can't do something, I'm like, okay, I got to go do that. Let thing. me show you. Let me show right? you, homeboy. Right? For better or worse now. For better or worse. Now, as a kid, that give me a trouble. But like I'm just saying, for better or worse, I'm like, oh, I can't? Okay, bet. I got to do that. Yeah. Right? I got I to, gotta, oh, oh, that's not possible? Okay, let me go make it possible. Right? Yeah. Uh, because you can't tell me. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I, I also take things very literally often, right? right? As a kid, I definitely did. So if you tell me, put your best foot forward, you can do anything in the world. You can do all things through God who strengthens you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you, you know, all things are possible with God. Like, if you say those things in the scripture and you're, and you're saying that that is what we live our life by. And then on the flip side of that, somebody who says they're of God tells me you can't do it. That's a contradiction. That don't make sense. Yeah. So am I going to listen yeah. to the human who's trying their best to follow God or am I going to listen to God who said it? Yeah. Right? So that, yeah. that was my barometer. And it was, as, it was as black and white as that. Yeah. And so that was part of it. The other part, which is that my parents, man, they, they just exposed me to whatever they could expose me to. Yeah. So, you know, part of the reason that I was, you know, more mature than, than my age a lot of times is because, you know, if my dad was running uh, uh, like a program for high school boys and he's trying to, you know, and giving them wisdom or giving them nuggets or talking about real high school boy issues and things that help them become men, he don't care if I'm only seven years old or only eight years old. I'm get this word. I'm get this your message. mama is in school tonight. She can't keep you. Yeah, y'all, we can't. She can't watch you at home tonight. You two young stay at the house by yourself. Coming with me. You coming with me. So I'm eight years old in a room full of 17, 18-year-old young men hearing them talk. I'm coloring and doing my homework in the corner, but I'm eavesdropping. Still I'm listening to what they're talking yeah. about, right? So I got a lot of... Uh, it's like it's like it's like when you play ball and you play play up, right? Like you learn things when you play up. You you're, you you become more, uh, a more skilled player because of that. And I think that that's attributed to again my parents just kind yeah. of exposing me to different yeah. different things. And you know I give you I give you one one kind of crazy example. I don't remember how old I was. I was probably like seven. I was, I was like maybe like nine years old, right? Yeah. Science fair, elementary school, just to paint the picture. Right. I decide that my my science project is going to be to make a portable microwave. That was the idea. Right. Not really the experiment, but whatever. Right. So I I you know use all the properties we learned in school of electricity and how it flows and all that to create this little plywood box and and put a, a heating element in it. I'm gonna heat up food with it. Yeah, yeah. 
That was my idea. I saw a commercial where this company in Charlotte, North Carolina, would basically, if you call this number and you have an invention, they will, it's like those commercials with the little cartoon, man. It's like, if you have an invention, they'll help you get this invention patented and help like you get it made. Got the little with the wheel and yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, invent yeah. help, whatever it's called. My mom, I, I saw that commercial and I wrote down the number. And I'm like nine. I told my parents, like, I really, I, I want to take my, my portable microwave to this thing. And they... I love that, though. ...were crazy enough to be like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. That's what I'm talking about. Packed up the car. This is why my imagination at 33 years of age is still big because they never crushed it. That's, they allowed me to dream big, about. right? Drive me up there. We do the, do the meeting. I got my little, you know, shirt tie on. I showed them my little plywood box and all that. I present my invention. I'm nine years old. And they basically like, oh, yeah, thank you. We'll be in touch. But they, they obviously didn't, you know, didn't buy it or whatever. Right. Now, you ask my mama, somebody stole my idea. Because fast forward, fast forward <laughs> years later, you ask my mama, they say I stole the idea. But somebody, stole the, somebody stole my idea. Because fast forward, in, in the stores, you would see, like, a little casserole dish, portable mm. food warmer type of thing. Mm -hmm. And to this day, if you ask her right now, 20 years later. They stole it. Somebody stole your idea. They probably did. You know? Man, like, the, the thing I love about that is, because I sit in the seat now as a parent, yeah. sometimes our desire to protect our children puts them in a shortfall. And, and mm. what I mean by that is, mm. even though at nine years old, they may have looked at you and thought inside their head, this isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why not let you go through the motions and feel it. And if it doesn't work, fine. Mm -hmm. But you still were taught to take the chance. Take the risk. And they didn't take the fears they inherently had of themselves and place them on top of you because you're going to get your own. That's right. And it's going to be plenty yeah, of Yeah, life's going to beat you up enough. Right. You're going to get your own fear. <laughs> I, lo I love that they gave you the opportunity. Yeah. Right? Because that, that teaches you take the yeah. opportunity. But, but ties right back to your story in the first episode when you were talking about the premiere for the land. Yeah. No one told you that that wasn't going to work. So you didn't have the fear. You asked the question. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Yeah. So you, you talked about Miss Minnie. You talked about your grandfather. You talked about both of your parents mm -hmm. and how they formed this, this, this squad around you mm -hmm. that, whether knowingly or unknowingly, prepped you for everything that came tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and the question that your, your conversation or your story inspired in me was, Miss Minnie and the role she played in the community and then the role oh, yeah. she played in your life, right? Yeah. What are the roles that you think any of us need right now to help us find that success? Whether, whether you're mm -hmm. a nine-year-old child dreaming big, whether you're a 47-year-old man mm -hmm. still seeing your dreams coming true and working on them, mm -hmm. or whether you're in the middle. What are the roles that we need to have yeah around us? What's that ecosystem? What's that yeah. ecosystem look like mm -hmm. so that we can create and find our way towards success? It, it, the ecosystem you need to find success is actually really simple. Yeah. In, in my opinion, yeah. in my case. Or at least I made it simple. Right. I call it my circle of elders, yeah. right? Which which sounds tribal <clears throat> and, and, and Afrocentric and all those things. And it is. I'm okay with that. Right? But... I'm blackity black back over Oh, yeah. Baby. All day. But, it, but, it's, <laughs> but it's... I've been kind of adopted that and, and took it into business, into life, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? So my circle of elders looks like actual family members, like some people we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Grandparents, et cetera, parents. But in the business world, it looks like mentors, 
right? So yeah, it's people buddy. that are doing things that I aspire to do or they're doing something that's adjacent to that where I know they still have applicable knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, it's not just about taking, right? It's also like, what can I do to help serve them too? Um, and not, not that like people who are in a position in life where they are ready to create legacy and give back and give you knowledge on those things, they're not always looking for something in return, but it should be an exchange of some, in some way, right? Yeah. Uh, if you can, if you, if you have something you can offer them. And so, you know, it's people like that. It's also people who, um, who may not be in my industry at all, but they just have, they're just wise, right? Um, and it may not be for business purpose. Sometimes it's for personal, right? So my wife and I, for example, um, after we met on Tinder, which is a whole other story back in the day. Uh, we <laughs> I met, know what the fourth episode's about. Now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, love her to death. Like when we met, you know, and then and we found our way back to each other, we were serious about each other at that point. We're like, okay, like we, went, we, we, we were on the path to get married. Mm-hmm. So we took a class. We took a, uh, like a marriage class, which is the, right. the, by far the best decision we've ever made was take this marriage class that it's the type of class that people when they're having trouble in their marriage, probably would have loved to take. Mm-hmm. We took it before we ever even got engaged, yeah. right? And so, it would it, in that class we met mentors in that space that I hadn't, I didn't even thought about having marriage mentors. But it's basically couples who have been married. You know, some have been married for five years, fifteen right. years, thirty years, forty years, like different different you know, times in their lives, and you're able to bring them issues you're having as a dating couple yeah. looking to get married and you can say to them like how did you deal with this have you ever dealt with this what does it look like you know all those things um, and that relationship has continued right so um, but yeah that circle of elders is what it looks like and, and again I, I bring up all those aspects of life because the circle of elders needs to be holistic because you are a whole person right yeah. you're not a yeah. part of a person yeah. you're not just a business person you're not just a married person or a, a person seeking to get married. You're not just a person uh, who is trying to figure out commu- the community and how to help. Yeah. Right? You need people in all those areas and that becomes your circle of elders. Yeah. How does someone, how does someone find that? Right? Yeah. L- let's talk about it from two perspectives, right? Yeah. Life overall, right? Yeah. The circle of elders. And then, and then in business, I hear people talk all the time about mentorship and wanting a mentor. Yeah. I've gotten letters from people and emails from people who are asking me to be a mentor. I've seen people write letters to CEOs and celebrities and influencers asking them to be mentors. And in most of those cases, my personal feeling is that's the wrong person, right? When I, I get a, I get a letter I from someone who I don't know, I have no connection with, and they ask, me a, they ask me to be a mentor, I always have a conversation with them. But in that conversation, I tell them I cannot be a mentor to them. And the reason why is because, one, I don't know you, you don't know me. That's not enough in itself. But also, there's someone better, right? My perspective is there's someone better. There's someone that you can touch, someone who knows your your work ethic, your drive, someone who can really teach you. Don't, mm-hmm. I, I think it's mm-hmm. a mistake when we knock on a door that we think there's notoriety inside of and we fail to address the actual need that we have. There's someone better, right? The One of the impetus for this show is the fact that there is information that we need floating around us daily. Someone can email you or reach out to you about producing a movie or I'm sure there's someone in the grocery store as they grab their milk who also has that same information and is in closer proximity. A neighbor down the street. One of my early mentors that I got by happenstance was a neighbor. 
Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he just happened to have all the information that I was looking for. So, in your mind, mm-hmm. how does someone select a mentor? And why is it that maybe it's not the CEO? Why is it maybe yeah. not Taraji P. Henson as your mentor? What, right. What's the rationale? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think you nailed it. I think mentorship, true mentorship is is born from relationship. Right. It's not uh, you reach out to get mentorship, right? Like that is, that's not, that's not real. Right. It's not real. And even if somebody says yes, I don't think it's as fruitful. It's not right. as fruitful connection, right? I'd rather connect with the person in a real way and then say, will you be my mentor? It's not just like a two-step yeah. thing. It's not yeah. that. It's more like, a mentor is different than an it feels advisor. Like a coach or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. A mentor, an advisor, and an advocate are are three very different things. Very right? I can kind so. of break that down. And I, and I was taught that at Morehouse, right, in, in business school. Like uh an advisor is so is literally what it sounds like. Somebody who just gives you advice. Yeah. Now, that might not be somebody you have a relationship with. Right. That could that be that could be the person you email. It could be it could be you from watching your podcast. Exactly. Right? Like that that's somebody or listening to the podcast. Like that's somebody that you hear their advice and you heed their advice, or you mm-hmm. hear, or you hear their advice and you're like, I think that's helpful for me. That's an advisor. It could be somebody you know. It might not be. Right. An advocate is somebody who there's somewhat of a relationship, right? But they're willing to walk into a room and speak in on your behalf because it's a room that you're not in yet. They bring your name right? up in places you can't yet walk. That's right. That. Yeah. A mentor could do one of those two two things or both of those things. But a mentor is a more very personal, intimate relationship that you can call with just about anything, yeah. right? To really yeah. understand the inner workings of your situation and try to help, the, and they can help you unpack it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that to me is is definitely not somebody you just reach out to a famous person. Yeah, I think what we're getting at though is the difference between a need and an intention. Y- yes. Right? Because... Yes. You can say, I need a mentor. Okay, why do you need a mentor? Do you need a mentor? Are you saying you need a mentor because you need a job? Yep. Which is fine, but that's not a mentor. Not a mentor, a mentor might not get you a job. That's and right. more than likely, they won't, right? Unless they're an advocate, right? But if they're just an advisor, then that's not, their job is not to get you a, a, a job. Yeah. Right? So, um, but if you're, in, if you're, that's your intention. If your intention is, I'm trying to get work. Or your intention is, I'm trying to learn mm-hmm. about the business. That's something you can definitely get from a mentor, yeah. right? Yeah. A mentor, I can't, you know, I definitely, I really enjoy genuinely meeting new filmmakers, new storytellers, new business people that are trying to get in entertainment, all those things. I enjoy meeting people that are on their way in because it wasn't that long ago when I was just getting started, right? Absolutely. Literally. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the land came out, the feature version of the land came out in 2016. Right. right. This is 2023. Right. So it wasn't that long ago. Seven years. It's not right. a long time in our right. business at all. So right. so I was just there. So I enjoy meeting people who are in that spot and trying to figure out how to get in. Yeah. My path, if I'm if I'm in the advisor role in your circle of elders, right? I can I'm open to telling you my story all day long. But my path is so non-traditional and kind of I found a side door and another door and mm-hmm. I just kind of, you know, whatever. Like, it's not really a thing, a path that you can follow per se. Um, God gave me that path, right? So I, I just followed that. 
And so often, it, it I, I don't feel bad about sharing the story, but I definitely feel a level of responsibility to share on top of the story that this, I only took this path because I knew my steps were ordered. Yeah. Right? But if I was doing it based on what made sense, I would have never done what I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love the, um, the advisor, the advisor mm-hmm. role. The way I've always looked at it was mentorship, advocacy, and championship. Mm-hmm. And I think it's mm-hmm. relatively the this, this, this same thing. And I, the, the thing that I want to make sure that people understand is that I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a chance and reaching out to someone you don't know because you think they may have information that you want Agreed. or need. But I think the point you made about the, the need and the intentionality behind it is so critical to understand before you send that email. That's right. Because the other side of that email or the phone call has to be some type of consumption or recognition of that email or that phone call. And that intention. Exactly. And when you put the word mentor in, or champion, or advocate, or advisor, that has its own set of connotations, right? And so you may create a no when it could have been a yes if you understand your intention. 100%. And you phrase the request adequately. Because Mm -hmm. to your point, I'm not mentoring people who just randomly reach out to me. I'll have a call, and I can advise you, and that can be the start of a relationship that can grow into healthy mm-hmm. mentorship. And I think that's what so many people miss. They want to they wanna reach out to someone because you have a name, because you're a CEO, and they just ask you to do this. And mentorship to people who care is a commitment. It's a real commitment. Right. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. It, it, it's patience. It, it's pain sometimes because you, you will begin to care about a person. So you do need to establish that relationship, grow it, take care of it, until it grows into one of these mm-hmm. other elements. Yeah. And you got to have them all. You got to have mentors and advisors and mm-hmm. you, you need this You need this army. You need this circle of elders. Mm-hmm. You need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So talking about that, whether they're known or unknown, I, I love to give people their flowers. Yeah. Who, who are yours? Who, who are, who are the, the people outside of mother, father, and, mm-hmm. and grandparents that we've mm-hmm. talked about who played those roles in your life and who advised you when you needed it, mentored, championed, who who gave you access, who taught yeah. you how to get it? Who, who did that for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, as we're sitting here talking about, like, yeah, don't reach out randomly, ask for mentorship. I was absolutely <laughs> that kid. Me too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I learned too. the hard way not to do that. But I, I was absolutely that kid, and especially at Morehouse. Like, when I found out that I got into USC, mm-hmm. And I know I didn't know anybody in 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 LA except for my my first cousin, uh, mm-hmm. Lee Thompson Young, who played Jet Jackson. Um, that was the only person I knew in LA, and I knew I didn't. I needed a lot more people to right. really get make this two years count, right? right. So <clears throat> I reached. I literally put a list together and hunted down people's emails of every single black development studio, development executive, mm-hmm. black producers, right, black agents, and emailed every single one of them a a detailed but personal letter. Love it. Um, and, you know, I would say probably 80% hit me back and like, let's, let's get it. Let's, let's have, I'll, I'll talk to you. Let's have a meeting, right? Love it, love it. Now, love it. I didn't ask them to be my mentor. Right. I didn't ask them to help me get a job or do anything. All I asked them for was, I, I, I'd love 15 to 30 minutes of your time just to learn more about what you do. I asked them for a learning opportunity. Yeah, I love that. Which people respond better to. Yes. Right? And it was yeah. and it was true. It wasn't 
I'm gonna ask for a learning opportunity. I'm gonna get in here and really try to turn it, turn this into a job, honey. Right, right. It wasn't that right. Now from that, one of the, before that, one of the people that I interned with in Atlanta mm-hmm. was Will Packer and Rob Hardy at Rainforest. Right, right. And while I was there, uh, built a relationship and then invited. You know, again going back to the best way to really connect with somebody, build a relationship, is to find a way to serve them. Right. And Will, at the time, wasn't really in the office that much because he was shooting Think Like a Man. And uh, and I asked him, you know, would you ever think about doing some sort of activation or something at Morehouse in the AUC? Like, I could I could put it together. I run, like I told you on the last episode, like, I, I, I was running the film association on campus. We were popping and we had the film major coming. So I knew all the players that helped make something like that happen. Mm-hmm. And so I asked, like, could we help you by doing some big marketing push? You're like, yeah, let's set it up. So he connected me with the studio. Boom, we set up a big thing and all the cast came out and they did a big thing for us and, and had a big kind of cookout thing outside for us. And he did a panel. It was him and the director, Tim Story, right? And so, watch how God works. Mm-hmm. That was in service, right? Of somebody who I looked up to, not as, as a mentor at the time, but just as somebody who could be an advisor, right? And I found a way to serve him and his movie. When he drove up, when he pulled up in his... Very nice AMG, <laughs> pearl color AMG, pulled up on campus. And this other black man gets out of the car with him, right? T-shirt and jeans. I'm just thinking, and, I, and you know, where I'm from, like, I'm taught, you you talk to everybody the same way, whether it's CEO or the general, you talk to everybody the same way. So I didn't know who, right. I thought it was just Will's homeboy. So we, we talking, we chopping it up. And I'm probably cracking jokes that I shouldn't crack if, it, <laughs> if I really knew who he was, right? Right. Fast forward, the panel happens. Will and Tim do the panel. It's amazing. And somebody asked Will, what, what was special about this movie for you? And his answer was, you know, the thing that was most special to me was that it was the first time in my career where it was me as a black producer with a black director and a black studio executive. Mm-hmm. And when he said black studio executive, he pointed. He's like, James, come over here. And he was talking to the guy that I had been mm. chopping it up with and cracking jokes mm. with, right? Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He's like, oh, wait one second, brother. And he went and, did, and got on the panel with him. This man was the senior vice president of Sony Screen Gems, wow. which is the studio that did Think Like a Man and Takers and all these things, right? And I was, and afterwards, I was kind of embarrassed. Cause I'm like, I don't know what I done said to this man. Like, he the homie. <laughs> so I was talking to James. His name is James Lopez. I talked to him after. I said, hey, man, you know, it's good to meet you. I'm trying to clean it up. I was right. a pleasure meeting you. I'm getting real, like, professional now. He's like, what's your, he's like, what's your name again? I was like, Stephen Love. He said, and, I, and he said, you know, you said you, could, you, get into US, you got into USC. I said, well, I didn't get in yet, but I applied. I feel really good about it. I'm, I'm going to get in. I just ain't, I ain't got the letter yet. Right, right. And he said, he said well, if you get, to, get into USC, Called me. I got a job for you. I got an internship for you. Amen. I was like, that's awesome, right? Fast forward, I get into USC. I email him immediately. I call him. I try to call him. Trying to call him. They get asked. <laughs> immediately. I emailed immediately. him. Immediately. Hey, Mr. Lopez, I got into USC. I'm coming to LA. You say you got a job for me. And he, he you know, he still put me through the process, maybe apply and all that and interview the interviews with, you know, his junior people and then with him. I get the job. That was my first job in Hollywood. And that's where I, and that was, and it was at a studio. And all of my classmates were like, we just got to LA. How in the world did you get an internship, right? <laughs> get a job. And from that day on, man, James Lopez was a great mentor to me. At the same time, one of the people I had emailed was Devon Franklin, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, because again, like young, he was young, black man, gone to USC as well, right? Linked up with him, and he he also was trying to help me through it. This was back when he was a studio executive at Sony at the same time. So I was on the lot now. Mm-hmm. Country boy of South Carolina, on the lot, wearing suits that are way too big. Mm-hmm. And everybody else got on, even as a head of the studio, wearing t shirt and jeans, which James had to kind of school me on. Like, you only wear no suit to work. This is entertainment. Um, <laughs> but I would go from my internship at one end of the lot with James, right? And walk to the other end of the Sony lot to go sit in Devon's office to talk to him. And, like, and, like, and it was just a surreal experience that I had these two black men that saw enough in me to be like, I wanna, I wanna help you at least tell you what this what this really is, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and it's Charles King, you know, yeah. even though, I don't know if we've ever had like the mentorship conversation necessarily, right? But like, I look up to him in that way because he was, a, you know, my first movie was his first movie. He, he Him as a financier and an EP and me as a producer. Right. And, you know, fast forward, now we're together on Tyrone, but um, I've learned a lot from, from just being, you know, at the feet of him too. So, yeah. uh, Deborah Martin Chase, she she's a a legendary producer that is you know, a black woman produced uh, the 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 black Cinderella that we all love right with Brandy back in the day Sisterhood yeah. of the Traveling Pants but now she's in, and even now she's producing Equalizer with Queen Latifah on CBS like she's a giant a giant man of of, of a producer and, and it probably doesn't get her just due honestly right yeah. we can imagine why uh, but she yeah. she is absolutely always been in my corner anytime I call her for anything and fun fact it's not just me that comes from her lineage it's before me her intern was Tracy Oliver who wrote and 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 who wrote um uh, co-wrote Blackening and produced Black the Blackening okay and she also that was a lot of fun right and she also was a writer out. writer and creator of the of Girls Trip. Right. Oh wow. Okay. Of and and also of um a bunch of, of a show coming in on Apple soon. Like Tracy Oliver was her intern before me. Right. Before Tracy was Shonda Rhimes was her intern. Wow. Right. So her lineage is crazy. Her her family tree wow. is crazy. Right. Deborah Martin Chase, legend. So that's real. Yeah, man. man. I definitely in the business definitely have great people that you know. And, and obviously, there's been other mentors too that don't look like me, like right. Todd Black, who escape artist who produced all the Denzel stuff for Sony. Um, you know, Ram Bergman who produced. All the Knives Out movie and Looper and all that, like really great people in the industry who just kind of you know wrapped their arms around yeah. me in a real way, man. So yeah. um, I'm grateful, man. One of the, the the key thing I think you said there was service, mm-hmm. right? And and what I love about your story and the mistake that I've seen people do before is they'll understand the need to serve, they'll understand the need to bring something that betters this person this person's world, but they don't always take the time to like put real thought into mm-hmm. what does this person need? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. sat back, watched the situation, looked at opportunities, and then found a way to use the resources you had at your disposal to tie this person's world and create something better for them. Yeah. And because you did the strategic work to bring some level of service that was meaningful, it led to so it led to today. Led to today, facts. That's, that's crazy. I'll tell you what's full circle about that. James Lopez now runs Macro mm-hmm. with Charles King. And so on Tyrone, that was the first project that James worked on when he got to Macro was to help us finish up to finish the last touches on Tyrone. Wow. See how that comes full circle? Yeah. So, the, so, so when I had the premiere for They Clone Tyrone last week, I'm standing on the red carpet next to James Lopez and Charles King, two people who helped me get where I am. That's dope. Isn't that amazing? 
That's dope. Now I'll tell you now on the, on the, on the other side of it. Obviously, like I still am seeking mentorship. Right, right of uh, course. Of I mean, all, it level. should never end. It never ends. You got to always seek new new information. Information is key. But but I am finding myself now, which is still crazy to me because I feel like I'm still you know in my early twenties. But right, I'm finding now that people are coming to me for mentorship or yeah. advisorship or advocacy or whatnot. And um, I realize that. I could reach so many, so many more people if I had an infrastructure that allowed me to help people, right? Yeah. In the in the in the business, right? And so um, that's where you know Invisible Collectors comes from, and that's where some of our other initiatives come from. Like Made in Her Image was a, a company. I mean, a, a organization I'm on the board of. Yeah. Uh, but that that program is literally for to help girls of color between the ages of eight eight and eighteen help them find their voice through cinematic storytelling, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and the founder found a way to teach them, you know, real skills. And whether they decide to go into movies or not, or making, you know, actually like making cinema or not, it gives them the, an, a tool set, a, a set of tools to be able to go do other things, right? Like, yeah. there's so many, storytelling is applicable no matter what, yeah. what, uh, what, what industry you end up in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just mentioned a, a, a couple of things happening. Mm-hmm. And I know everyone listens like, well, well, what is that? Tell them what it is. What's that? Oh, Invisible Click. Yeah, break it, break it down down. I met somebody who was starting a commercial company. His name was Justin Polk. Right. And he had a partner uh, named Mel Jones. And, and I'd known Mel from the independent producing side for forever. And so we decided, we came together and started a company called The Invisible Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's sort of facetious, right? The title is. Because the, 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 whole, um, the, the whole sort of emphasis of the, of the company is that there is a real lack of visibility for directors and filmmakers in the advertising world that are people of color, women, LGBT+, plus, mm-hmm. uh, the physically differently abled, mm-hmm. military vets, straight up absent for the most part, right? On the main stage. And so at that point, and so that was, this was pre-revolution, pre, oh, we ain't got no black folks, let's go find some, gotcha, right? Gotcha. This is before it was cool to be, you know, DEI and all that, gotcha, right? Gotcha. So it's 2018, we started this company. It's just us. Ironically, the first commercial we did was for Tabitha Brown for Whole Foods. And when I was managing her at the time, which is a whole other story we'll talk about in another episode. <laughs> um, but Tabitha blew up with this Whole Foods video. They did it. We, I did a deal with her for her for Whole, with Whole Foods. We need to do this piece of content, you know, in the in the thing. And we shot. That was our very first commercial, right? Wow. And so um, at the time, man, it was like, all right, this is. This is not just a commercial company. This is an infrastructure that we can use to serve our community of right. creators, right? So basically, film, all of our other industries are, you know, we all know there's work to be done as far as being more progressive, more inclusive. Advertising, in my opinion, is at least 10 years behind where, where film and music is, right? And so we made a point to make our roster exactly what it is. And then that became the apparatus that allows new filmmakers, new storytellers that may come from film or TV, and maybe they've had experience in some way there, but they want to get into commercials. We have people like that. We have people who are extremely experienced in commercials, but want to be able to get into movies and TV, right? And obviously, if I meet you and I'm like, you're killing it in commercials and music videos, right? I know you want to do a movie. 
I know that's going to be tough for us right now to get it, but let me let me walk you over to Invisible Collective. Let's do more commercials and music videos together. Yeah, yeah. And but do it with the intention of getting you into movies. So now the things that you choose look different. Yeah. The way that you execute looks different. Yeah. Because we're doing it with the mind of like, you got this particular movie you want to do. Let's write a treatment for a music video that feels like that movie you yeah. want to do. I love right? that. I love so that. So it's just an ecosystem, man, for for creators to really really grow and, and capitalize, honestly, on on the creativity. Man, I absolutely yeah. love that, brother. How how do people how do people tap into that kind of thing? Yeah. It's just the website, uh invisiblecollective.co. It really is that simple. Like we 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 have uh, we have two tiers actually. So there's the roster of like, you know, 15 directors mm-hmm. who are our mainstay directors who are really experienced in booking commercials and music videos left and right, right? Right. But then for those people that are just on the come up that we see, we're like, you're really, really talented. Like, I see it. You don't have the experience yet to get the big commercials yet. That's cool. Just because you're not ready for the roster doesn't mean you're not ready to, to work. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Right, so right, right. we have what we call just the collective, which is just people that we believe in that we think are ready, that we right. think will we'll be ready soon. Right. So we, we put them there find them, you know, smaller work and help build their reel up, right? Yeah. And the idea, obviously, we would love it if people that we help build up decide to sign with us. But even if they don't, it's right. still some good in the world because now you got a new director that's out in the world and ready to go do big work. Yeah. And so, uh, it doesn't, it's not all, it's not about, like, controlling that in that way. It's just about building community. Yeah. Man, I absolutely yeah. love that. Like, yeah. just, again, going back to the last episode, yeah. the gift that we give. That's right. Like, that's, like that's what it's really, really about. Yeah. Now, in, in in your instance, in your case, you have done a bunch of different things to get to where you are now. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to to kind of let me back up. We've talked about like dreaming, which is critically important. If you can't if you can't dream, and ain't nobody just walking up handing you that box of success, it's just yeah. it's not happening. Yeah. So you dream something, and then while you're dreaming it, you're you're creating your circle of elders, mm-hmm. right? The support system, the mechanism, the ecosystem that allows you to ascend, right? You're doing your work. They're doing their work. You're, you're dreaming. You're building. Without opportunity, mm-hmm. where does it go, mm-hmm. right? So as you were doing all that work, as you were doing the work, as they say, how did you also create or find mm-hmm. the opportunities? And, 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 and like, get, get technical, right? You, you yeah. talked about the deal you, yeah. you did for Tabitha Brown. Yeah. You, you, you've, you've got deals through your own companies now. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're tied to, to They Clone Tyrone. Mm-hmm. You've got other stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that, that people wonder is, like, how the hell does it happen, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, I've wondered that. 
Yeah. And, and and now I find myself in a position where I'm seeing how some of this stuff happens. Yeah. And some of it is way outside of my control. Yeah. And some some of it is. Yeah. So from your perspective, how did you take all that work and turn it into opportunity and action? Great question. Um, you you talked about what's in your control and what's not. Yeah. You gotta learn to Control what you can control. Yeah. And don't try to control what you can't control. Amen. Right? That's the first step. <laughs> that awareness honestly opened so many doors just, just mentally for me. Right? Mm-hmm. And now, there are a lot more things in our control than we may think. Right. And so, tactically, for me, it looks like, okay, what programs exist for producers specifically? Right. That will give me an opportunity to make more stuff with other people's resources, right? Right, right, right. Because <laughs> I didn't have any. So right. <laughs> how to do it with OPM, other people's money. Yep. And and then, and so, and that is unfortunately a very finite amount of, uh, of programs, right? right? There's a lot of programs out there for writers. There's a lot of programs out there for directors, et cetera. But there's not a ton of programs for producers, right? right. Sundance Producers Lab was one of them. So I had my eyes on that one. Right. Another one was uh, the film independent Project Involved Lab, which wasn't solely for producers, but they had a track for directors, a track for writers, a track for producers, and and, and a track for executives also, right. who, aspiring executives. And in that pro, and in both of those, in that program, that you get the opportunity to make a movie, to make a short film, right? And you're doing it with people that are in these other tracks, and so that meant I'm meeting new filmmaker, new filmmakers that I never would have met before, right? I'm meeting new crew people that I never met before. And I'm getting the opportunity to make a short film that is well-resourced financially mm. and infrastructure-wise, et cetera. And so that was, that was one. And I ended up making two movies in that, in that program, right? Mm. Because they needed another producer on another project. In the Sundance Producers Lab, um, that gave me the opportunity to take a project I was developing and take it through a ringer. Because they bring mentor, like mentors, advisors into that program who have produced a bunch of movies before, movies that we've all seen, and really just tear your script to shreds, mm-hmm. right? Creatively mm-hmm. in a good way and build it back up. Uh, your production plan, your budget, all those things that really help pressure test your ideas, right? And your business model, et cetera. Right. That was absolutely invaluable, right. right? The Peter Stark Producers Program was another one where I had my eyes set on that one. There, there's not, at the time, there's a few producers programs like grad programs, but that was the one that I saw that was in L.A., had a ridiculously amazing track record of producing big-time studio executives, um, studio presidents even, uh, screenwriters, showrunners, producers, all those things. So those were sort of the earmarks that I, that I really you know, pointed to to try to find. And so I guess all in all, what I'm saying is I look for inf- existing infrastructures that had a track record of producing producers. And once I found that, I just targeted those things. Now, it didn't mean that I was just going to get in just because I applied. Because that's the other piece. The people are like, well, yeah, but I see that stuff too. How do I get in? Right. This is where the hustle came in, right? So like I, I think I said on the last episode that that um, uh, uh, God's love is unconditional, but the blessings are conditional. Amen. Right? And it's conditioned upon your work ethic and in in, 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 in your faithfulness and all those things, your belief. Mm-hmm. I believed for sure. From a year young age, as we talked about, I believed my work ethic comes from watching 
you know, my grandma, like I said, Miss Minnie, who was a janitor for decades, right, in a, in, a, in a school. And my granddad, who was out in the sun for decades in the mm-hmm. farm, right? And my parents, who, like, was getting after it, even after they, after they had me. And so I knew I had those things. But I had to figure out strategy on top of that. And so I would do things like, I'm going to find out who the decision maker is to get you into this program. I'm going to send them a personal note. Right, a handwritten note, just like things that we learn in business school. Off that I learned in business school, honestly, that are sort of ways of old at this point. Right. But because of that, it stands out when a right. young kid is doing these things. Saying, that right? makes it that makes it unique now. Yeah, so I'm yeah. reaching out. I'm doing that. I'm looking for any touch points that they that they like mutuals that we may have. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if there's I go on LinkedIn and I find this person. If I don't have to reach out to them cold, I try not to. I try to find who we have that's mutual. Yeah. And if I know them well enough, I say, hey, do you know so-and-so well? I see y'all are connected. I'm trying to get into this program. They're running it, blah, 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 right? I might send 100 different versions of those letters or messages or what have you to those different variations. And of those 100, I might get 10. But those 10 produce yeah. real access. Because yeah. so, in reality, yeah. all it takes is one. All it takes is one. Just the right one. All it takes is one. The right one. Yeah. And listen, listeners, I, I hope you are paying attention. I hope you are paying attention. And even more than that, I hope you can hear his stories, his way, his experience, and notice the pieces and the tactics from his world that you can pull and implement in yours. Because they work. Mm-hmm. Right? They work. He, he gave you the game. All you got to do is apply it. And going back to episode one, be tenacious in the application of that. Yeah. And understand that, to your point, failure is only failure if you allow it to stop you. Mm-hmm. Right? It's an opportunity to learn something. Or as Dictavio, CEO of Revolt, has said many times, failing forward. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the key to all this. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a part three of this. I can't wait for you to hear that. We're going to close out this episode. In closing it, I want to ask you this one question. If you had, actually, it's probably two questions, just to be real. Okay, it's all good. Looking at the entire journey that you've taken us through to today, what's the one thing you think you did amazingly well? And what's the one thing that you did horribly? Mm. And, and the reason I want to ask mm-hmm. that question is because I think social media and life in general has created this place where Everyone, else, everyone around us looks like they're successful. And then you look at your life mm-hmm. and you see all your errors. Editing is what keeps their errors, their failures, their opportunities from you. But you see your own. But just because you might have those moments where you stumble or the roadblock or the hurdle is too big, you can still find your way to a significant amount of success. No one is there who has not gone through that. So I love to hear those two from you so they can hear the fact that you've been through it all. Yeah. I think the thing that I did horribly Mm -hmm. in the beginning was listen. Not just hear, and I'm not talking about like heeding advice. That I did well for the most part, except when I was being stubborn. (laughs) but just really listening. Right. Listening to what people say, but more importantly, as my dad would say, listen to what people don't say. Yeah. 
And um, I had to learn that. The thing that, and I've gotten better at that, gotten way better at that. Part, part of it is due to my, my wife being a therapist and she listens for a living. <laughs> uh, but the thing that I, that I struggled with then and, and, and still I'm working on now, honestly, to be vulnerable about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Is maintaining relationships in a real way. And I'm not talking about just business relationships, um, like 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 trying to make a connection and it's transactional. Right. That I can do all day long, right? But truly maintaining long-standing relationships that may turn into business or not. Yeah. Um, I think you know. The hustle culture of it all attributes to that, right? We get under, we get onto a project or whatever, and you get under a rock, and you're so focused on that, and it becomes tough to stay connected sometimes, right? And then you pop up, and it's six months later, and you try to reconnect. And for some friends, that's totally fine because they got to stay on the same wave, and you pop up, and y'all hit it off. You know, a year later, it's like we we good, we picking up where we left off. Skip a beat, yep. Well, for some people, they need they're not as low touch, right? Yeah. Some everybody's different. Some people need more interaction, and so if you're gone for six months or away for six or nine months, and you don't connect, then there's there's something lost there. You have to get you have to take a step back and rebuild from that from from two steps back instead of continuing to move forward. And so that's something that I've continued to try to to, to work on, you know, in a real way, uh, being inten- and being intentional about that. Yeah. Thing I've been think I've been amazing at is being. Absolutely, not just okay, but excited about being a magnet yeah. for people who want no parts of the chaos that I love doing. Right, yeah, right. And, and that, but that really just boils down to looking to my left and looking to my right, right. Which is interesting. The thing that I say that I'm that I'm challenged with is relationships, but the things that I'm thing that I'm great with is born from relationships, yeah. right? Being able to say, let's zoom out for a second and see the big picture, right? I can see 10 years from now where the where this can lead to, right? That's a gift. And I'm only amazing at it because it's, it's literally a gift to be able to see where we're going, yeah. right? And to see how people, different people and pieces can work together. Yeah, That's a gift, right? Being able to be 30,000 foot up is, is a gift. Yeah. Um, but that meant being excited about being in the middle and saying, I'm only a producer, right? And not to diminish it, but I am no, a producer. Right, right, right. I don't want to write. I don't want to direct. I don't want to act. Although I've been in front of some people's cameras, and I have, like yours, but I had no intention of acting, <laughs> right? I'm a producer. I want and, and I love dealing with putting these teams together Helping to build your your vision, right? right? As a creative, helping to build your vision, helping to take it to the next level, helping to deal with the the politics of whatever company we decide to go with, having to deal with the politics of navigating our industry and putting people together and getting the deals done and negotiating all those things, and then having to deal with 
your vision being compromised and now you need me to go fight for it or vice versa. The powers that be need, they, they, you know, the studio or distributor or whatever may need some things in place that you're not really feeling, but I got to help you understand why we got to do this or whatever. All those things together is what producing is. Yeah. And it means that my friends who are directors and writers and actors and all those things, they can be on the red carpet. They can be in front of the camera. They can be out in the, in the, in the middle of all that and be the celebrity of it all. I'm absolutely excited and okay to be able to walk into Walmart when I'm, in, you know, 50 years old. Amen. And nobody know, any, nobody know who I am at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Long as the check clear. <laughs> Long as the check clear. Brother, I, I hear that. Amen. Yeah. This has been another good one. I, I love when we can really get detailed. Yeah. And, yeah. Right, and, and talk not just tactically, but to be honest, like emotionally. That's right. right. That's right. Like, because that is, that is, people love to, you know, discount emotion and, and hide emotion. But the reality is, emotion, at least for me, is so significant in my world that it creates the lanes that I that I end up in. Like, it is because of my emotion that I find my passion. It is because right. of my emotion, like, right, to the good or to the bad, right? It's Because it's not all good that comes from it. But to be able to talk about your experience from an emotional standpoint and allow people to connect to that and pull the levers and the tactics from your experience and add to theirs, that's what the show is about. Like, that's literally why we built this platform. Man, this has been great. We end every episode much like we did the first one. Tell the people how they can track you, engage with you, follow you. Like, where do they go? Yeah, yeah. The best way to get, get at me is on Instagram, uh, DrLove12, D-O-C-T-A-L-O-V-E-1-2. That's it. That's it. Hey, if you hadn't, Go right now. They clone Tyrone. Yes, sir. It is amazing. Dig in. Appreciate With that. It, Wild Black. Peace. We out. Right. Love you. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba. 